0: If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, please, we're in Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use your uh, phone, or there are some on the back table back there. Um, I I have a friend who says, and I use this joke all the time, but I think it's so funny. He goes, I forgot my sword of the spirit today, so I'm going to use my switchblade. And he pulls out his phone. (laughs) I always thought that was pretty funny. Terrible. (laughs) So if you're on your switchblade, go for it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. We've been in a series right now talking about building and about what do we do now. It's been COVID environment, uh, things are weird, our neighbors don't really wanna hang out with us all the time and things like that, things are different. Commerce is different, business is different, school is different, everything's different. And it's easy to take the moment to sort of stop and just to wait it out, which usually looks like um, finding lots of things to watch on the internet and, and then you're, you've watched everything and then what do you do? So, we've been talking about that together. And the resounding thing that we found from the book of Ephesians is that the Lord is building his church. His kingdom reigns, he's over all things. The plan that he has for the fullness of time is that all things would be united in Christ, that he would fill all things. And he's doing that through his body, which is who he fills. He fills his body. And so, the church is the agent of restoration in the world to bring relationships back together, to see the gospel spread forth everywhere. To help people uh, come to Christ. How will people know if they don't hear the truth? And the answer is that the church is marching forth. Speaking the truth in love. And bringing people to Jesus. Our goal is not happiness. It would be nice if it was sometimes. Our goal is not happiness. Our goal is not a fulfilled life. Our goal is not money. Our goal is not uh, having every seat filled in this room. Just for the sake of having every seat filled. Our goal is not earthly success where everyone knows our name. Instead, our goal is that Jesus Christ would be glorified. Yes. Glorified in our lives. Glorified by our testimony. Glorified by how we live. Glorified by what we proclaim, which is the gospel. Glorified by standing up for Jesus in all things and proclaiming his great gospel truth and his salvation. It is, uh, it's, I'm saying it like that really blunt because the truth is that that message often gets kind of scattered around. And it's easy for us sometimes in the, in the thick of a time when our neighbors don't really want to hang out with us or commerce is different and school is different, everything's different. It's easier to just, not just sit back and watch what's on the internet, but also to mute ourselves. Because let's be honest, right now, whatever you say is gonna get you in trouble. You can be for one candidate or the other candidate, you can be for one issue or against that issue, you can be pro-mask, against masks, you can be whatever, and it's going to be controversial. And so to stand up and speak out for the Lord is going to be controversial, and it's going to cost us something, because the truth of the matter is that the world hates Jesus until they know him, and then once he rescues them and grabs their heart, every one of us says, oh, Lord, we love you, how beautiful you are. But before that, man, we were all once tyrants, weren't we? Running hard away from God. The world doesn't seem to want Jesus. And so there's, the, there's truth to the fact that sometimes we'll open our mouths, and right then people will say, show me the way. I want to know. That happens. Praise God. Isn't that good that that happens? And there are other times when people say, I don't want to hear it. Um, for the first time in my ministry and my life, really, um, I have had an encounter where somebody asked me not to pray for them. Have you, you know, I, I pray for a lot of people, and so I, I'll just, you know, I was knocking on doors in, in the neighborhood one time, and um, I was inviting people to a little block party thing that we were having with our, our, uh, our area, our neighbors, and so one of the houses I knocked on, and I was talking to the guy, and he was obviously ailed by something. He was walking funny, and Uh, hurt, and he said, I just had surgery. I said, oh, wow, God bless you. Hey, I'm I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? And he went, no, no, you can't, and slammed the door. You know, I've never, ever had anybody ever turn down prayer until then. And we're living in a different time. It's a different environment. Some of the things that we used to take for granted like that, like just being able to pray for people, might be received a little bit differently in today's environment that's okay because Jesus is still on the throne and our mandate is still the same and he's still building his church and he's still moving forward and he's still moving in the power of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's read Ephesians chapter 3 together. We're going to read about the mystery of the gospel revealed to the Gentiles and how even Paul, the apostle, is in awe of this as he's talking to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Please read with me. For this reason I, Paul... A prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my, my insight into the mystery of, of Christ." which was made known to the sons of men in other generations, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made to a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power, and access to access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Praise the Lord for his word. The church in Ephesus is an interesting place. We've talked about this a couple of times, but it's a major area of commerce. There is a, a giant uh, amphitheater in Ephesus that seats uh, probably over 20,000 people, archaeologists believe. That's huge. And there's a giant temple to Artemis, the goddess, Uh, who is served by a eunuch priest and a bunch of virgins and stuff, and there's a whole uh, cult religion that's built around this goddess that Ephesus is famous for. The the, uh, idol makers in Ephesus are famous for their craftsmanship and how good their idols are. So Ephesus is a very kind of spiritual place in the sense that people uh, often go there for religious pilgrimages, and it's a special place in uh, the pagan religions, basically, of this time. And so, Paul is speaking to the people in Ephesus and he's talking to two groups of people. One group is Jewish Christians who, have, who are Jews ethnically and then have believed, and they have a benefit. That benefit is that as the chosen people of God through history, they've received the scriptures and they know of the prophets and they've heard about the Messiah that's coming and all the promises of God, and so they have an idea of who God is before they meet Jesus. The Gentile Christians is everybody other than the Jews. So most of us in this room, well, our lineages would probably follow that. We would all be Gentiles with the exception of a couple. And so the Gentile Christians now have been steeped in these other religions and how they access God. And so the way that they can be at peace religiously and the way they can know fulfillment in a religious kind of way is going to the big temples, is going to the big ceremonies, is following all these, uh, all these special religious things that are, have to do with idol worship. And so they know those things, and they've never heard of all the promises of God. And now the Jews are telling them about the history of God having a people on the earth and what he's called them to and and what his law looks like and all these kind of things. And can you imagine hearing that all for the very first time? It's incredible. The ethic of the Christians and how they treat people, the ethic of the Christians and how they're supposed to love their wives, how they're supposed to love their children. Your children were a commodity in this time period. They were less than persons in a lot of places. Uh, slavery was, was happening wholesale, and slave trade of children, all these kind of things. It was a new story for the Gentile Christians to hear about how God loved people and how he had created, created them, and the ethic that he had put into how to love each other. And so Paul is telling the people here the great mystery of God, that from the very foundation of time, he had had a plan to pull even the Gentiles into the worship that he would require. Now that's a really impossible and an amazing thing to the Jews. Because up until this point, to be in God's people and to know him, you had to be ethnically Jewish. Or you could go through a a special kind of immigration process and become Jewish, but even then you were still sort of second class in some ways. And so now for them to hear that all people through Christ can be united in one body is a major, mysterious revelation of what God is about. It's so big and so important that I want to point out to you how that happened to us legally and what God did to help us make that happen, because it's, it's vital to understanding the Christian faith and how we can walk with God. Paul, who's a gospel minister to these Gentiles, is bringing them into not just the mystery of what God has done, but the heritage that they would have as now a people of faith, To know who God is and to walk with Him. Uh, Think about this. If you serve idols your whole life, they're always completely mysterious to you. They never answer. Sometimes they maybe work, sometimes they maybe don't. It's kind of happenstance. Then the idols are dead. Hear me out. They're not actually doing anything. But sometimes it seems like. You know, some you ever get at Christmas, somebody gives you a a scratcher or something. You know, you have family members like that. I have family members like that. Every once in a while you win five dollars, you're like, whoa! I should, I should go buy a big ticket. you know. It, it's not true. It doesn't work. But every once in a while, it seems like these things work. But everything's mysterious. They, they never answer. They never work. The, the religion is wrapped in all this weird stuff that happens. And you can never know that God. Why can't you know the idol? Because they're dead. They don't have mouth to speak or ears to hear. There is no personality there. There's a made-up fake religion around it about trying to explain about how natural things are occurring. And now they meet, coming from that, the living, ruling, reigning God who created the universe. And suddenly his law makes sense in a way that trying to follow this religion never made sense. Suddenly his law speaks to the depths of their being because he's the one who created them. What a change, what a difference. So when Paul's talking about this great mystery of the Gentiles being brought in, He's really addressing the the fears, the excitement, the, the amazing understanding of two different people groups who are seeing it from different sides. One is the Jews who are flabbergasted that God is calling in other ethnicities into his people. And the other are the Gentiles who have been so lost in their other religions for so long that they're finding life for the first time. And it's just every breath they breathe is life. It's an amazing thing. And those two people groups together make up the one church who have to stand in unity. Paul is speaking this mystery to them and he tells them this. He says in verse 11, that or excuse me, he says in verse 10, that through the manifold wisdom of God that he might make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places what are the eternal purposes of God. He talks about this idea of the testimony of the church not just being for the people themselves, but as a testimony to this, these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What an interesting phrase that is. Paul uses that phrase for two reasons. One reason he uses that phrase is because the Jews understand that in the temple of God, in the administration of God, people are not allowed to just come before him. People can't just walk up to God casually. They understand that they have to come through sacrifice. They have to come through the blood of the lamb. In the Old Testament, that was physical lambs. In the New Covenant, now it's through the blood of Jesus they come. The Gentiles have also learned that. But they're also learning that their very testimony of life now every breath they breathe brings so exciting. And, and knowing God for the first time and, and things making sense also testifies to all those things that they used to try to serve and wonder about and the mysteries of things that they think may still hold some power and they're still trying to understand that there's only one God and it's really just him. Uh, when I was, uh, I was, not long ago, I was uh, talking to one of my African friends and I had mentioned to you a while ago about uh, Africa and, and dealing with demons and things like that there and it's just different. And he was telling me that, uh, that when he first went into a village, he went in proclaiming the word of God and he's you know, telling people and preaching and telling them about what, what God had done in the gospel. And so the village elders, this was the first time they'd really heard the gospel. And so they went and they found the witch doctor. And they brought the witch doctor and set him on one side, and they went and found a guy who was insane. And they brought the insane guy, and they said, okay, let's, you show us. In other words, let's have a showdown. You're saying you're powerful. We've always followed the witch doctor. If your God really can free people, let's see it happen. Could you, could you imagine? It would be awesome, wouldn't it? It would be awesome. It would test your faith. It would test your faith, wouldn't it? And so now he's standing there having proclaimed the gospel of Jesus, and he has to start seeing this guy freed. And eventually a demon was, came out, amazing, and the village comes to Christ, The church is born, incredible what God does. But this is, this is what the Gentile people are like. Forever they've served Artemis and these big temples and they've been built into this religion about idols and all these kind of things. And now Christ has come on the scene and they already have passed through that test, if you will, to say, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. He's the king. He has saved me. I trust him. I've abandoned all those things. And ready, my family, my business, the way I relate to everybody in the community because it's such a big deal here in Ephesus. I'm walking away from all those things because I trust Jesus now. And still, this sort of lingering wonder from all the people confronting them, the conflict, it's, it's controversial in the community. And people all the time coming up, You Really? You believe Jesus? Really? What about this idol and this? And what about that? And the priest guy said this, and what do you think about this? And all the time there's this burden of proof to walk in what Christ has done. And now Paul tells them, Paul tells them that the mystery of God bringing the Gentiles into the fold of his people through the blood of Jesus is a testimony, not just to each other, but to the heavenly powers, these mysterious things that they would maybe not understand. And that them even walking in confidence knowing Christ is a testimony to all those things and spiritual things that they can't understand and they're a little bit afraid about. Paul's addressing the hopes and the fears of both people groups, and it's incredible how he does that. And then he goes on here in verse 12 to say that in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Kind of a weird switch there, isn't it? So just in the way of talking, he's saying, look at the mystery of how God's brought the Gentiles into the fold. Then he talks about how their testimony is, even declaring to these spiritual powers that God has really done a great work. But then he goes on to say, in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Why would that matter? It matters because the people in Ephesus, the Gentiles, understand that if you want to meet with the gods, if you want to really have favor with them, you got to go to one place, and that's the special big temple of Artemis. And if you go there, something big is going to happen. On the other hand, the Jews have come out of their tradition knowing that if you want to meet with God, there's only one place to go, and it's the temple in Jerusalem. And if you don't go to the temple, it's not really, not much is going to happen. That's, that's the center of God's economy for all these things. You've got to go there. And what Paul is doing is he's breaking down both of those things to say now we have access through Christ in the mystery of the gospel, that he's even brought the Gentiles into one body, and through the one man, Jesus Christ, who's the Lord forever, he has made us now his people, in whom he has made his dwelling place. You don't have to go to a big temple made by hands anymore for either of those people groups, because now God has formed you into a temple, and he's indwelled you. And that's good news. That's good news for a people who are, in some cases, literally dying for their faith. That's good news for a people who live in a town where 20,000 religious people will chant in Acts chapter 20, great is Artemis in Ephesus coming against the church. That's great for a people who are very much the minority, who are crying out and proclaiming the word of God to a people who don't want to open the door, who don't want them to pray for them, who don't know the God of life until they know him. And then all of a sudden their eyes are opened and it's just life to them. It's just like our world. It's not so different. Sure, they don't have the internet. But all the cares and concerns and thoughts and doubts and all those things, same. Isn't God's word so smart? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Paul talks about this confidence and boldness with which we can come before God. As the church is being slaughtered, and don't, don't forget, of course, while persecution is happening, a lot of Christians were martyred. A lot of things happened. Uh, they were brought into the Roman games. They were fed to lions. Terrible things happened. And while this is happening, you know, some of the Christians, while they were being burned to death in the Roman games, were singing hymns, and people in the stands were getting saved based on the songs they were singing. So the, the emperor and the guards decided that they would bind their mouths And put gags in them so they couldn't sing while they were being burned because more Christians were being added every day. And so what happened is they would be burned and the flames would come up and once the gags were burned away, they'd start singing and still people were getting saved. How incredible is that? But could you imagine the angst and the the fear? Let's be honest. These are real people who really love God and also their neighbors and friends and loved ones are being drug away and put in jail and all kind of things happening as persecution comes through the church, which God uses to grow the church. You know, he used persecution that normal people, not just the apostles, not just the ones who walked with Jesus from the beginning, but normal people who knew God were scattered because of the persecution. And through their testimony, everywhere they went, as they sought refuge in other places, new churches were started. So by the time Paul comes even to Ephesus, He's come there because the persecution drove Christians out who went to Ephesus and started preaching the word of God. And then a church was born. And then the apostles come to the church to help establish it and make sure they're teaching the right things. And that's incredible because God is using normal people. And he's using the worst of circumstances to make this happen. But while this is happening, John, who is on uh, the Isle of Patmos and he's been exiled, cries out to God. And the Lord gives him a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to read to you John chapter 5. And what's happening here is John has come up to the throne in heaven. He's in the spirit. He's seeing all these things happen. And so he's seeing the throne in heaven. And a, a scene is unfolding before him. So in chapter 5 of Revelation here, he's just seen what the throne looks like. And he's explaining it in poetic language. Because how do you explain what it really looks like to see God? So sometimes, if you get a little bit tripped up in some of the language in the Book of Revelation, uh, just step back and say, "How would I describe Jesus to my friends? Not just surface—oh, He loves us. Not just surfacey things. If you know Him, how do you describe Him?" And John sees Him in all His power, and He's uh, there's uh, His eyes everywhere. He sees everything, you know. And so some of the language becomes a little is poetic like that, uh, and shouldn't be taken completely literally. But as we come into this scene, he's seeing the throne and he's filled with awe as he sees all of these creatures and elders and the angelic beasts and, or angelic creatures who are, uh, who are giving honor to God and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is he. And then in Revelation chapter 5, here's what it says. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to take its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. We're going to pause right there at verse 4. Why is he weeping loudly about a scroll? Because in Jewish law, if you, are, if you are disenfranchised from the people and you are outside of them, they would write your debt on a scroll and seal it and keep it in the temple. And he's in the ultimate temple now. He's standing before the throne. And this is the debt. This is the way that people can be legally returned into the community in the understanding of what the temple means and how legally things happen. And he knows that. And he's not just weeping because it's so beautiful or because he's he's overcome. He's weeping because he knows this is the hope of mankind. This is the scroll of debt that without its seals being broken, without it being able to be redeemed by someone, that people are hopeless. And so that's why he's weeping. And so in verse 5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you are slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them into a kingdom and priests for our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. And Paul tells us we have access with boldness to come in. And that the very mystery of God, that the Gentiles have been brought into the fold now, into the people of God, declares to the heavenly powers that God is in fact doing a good thing. And look at this scene. Look at what's happening here as the Christ, the Lamb who was slain, walks up to the throne of God. Imagine the angels. What happened when man sinned? What happened when man sinned? God came down, he judged the sin. And what did he tell them? He said, you must go. You come out of the garden. You've sinned. The wage of sin surely is death. And then he had judgments and things. He also said he was going to send one a seed of the woman, right? Who was going to change everything. But as Adam and Eve left now in their shame, he even clothed them because he's so kind. They go out of the garden. And to guard the way back to the tree of life, God places a cherubim with a, with a flaming sword. What's a cherubim? A cherubim is an angel. People are not allowed back to the tree of life. They're not allowed back to the place of the presence of God. They can't just come. And now there's one who, like a lamb who has been slain, is walking down the aisle of the throne room, the very temple of God. This is the place. This isn't the copy that's on earth. This isn't the little image that we get to see like a negative in a photograph that you just kind of, you can make it out, but you can't fully know everything. This is the throne. And a man is walking down the aisle. He's God. He's God, the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh for us, but he's a man. Can you imagine the cherubim? What do they say? What do they do? You cannot come here. They are not allowed. You must stay out. But instead, this man, He's worthy. He's worthy. He's the only one. He's the only one in heaven. He's the only one on earth. He's the only one under the earth. There is no power. There's no demon. There's no angel. There's no person. There is no one who is worthy but Jesus, who walks down the very aisle, right up the steps. The angels are losing their minds. They don't know what to do. They recognize him, but he's a man. How can this be? And he takes the scroll. And he breaks the seals. He redeems mankind. He takes the debt of our sin upon himself, the wrath of God for all the things we've done, though he was innocent. And what do they cry out? They cry out that the lamb is conquered, but they also cry out, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you did what? Ransomed people for God. The Jews, right? Ransom the Jews. No, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, not just a people. No longer Jews and Gentiles, now a people who are in the kingdom of God and priests elevated even to serve him and to minister to others. How incredible. And they shall reign on the earth. When Paul talks about the access that we have, the access to come before God, he's talking about what Jesus Christ has done and that through his gospel, through his death and resurrection, and legally, the way that God determined, he went for us. He took the scroll. He ransomed us by his own blood and now no longer Jew or Gentile, but one people in the mystery of his plan forever that from every tribe and nation and tongue, every color, Both genders, all people come before God and all of us now made in his image, redeemed again, that we would be his people and priests before him. This is the access we have through Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, if you know him, if you've bowed your knee, if you've said, Lord, forgive me of my sin, then you can know, not just wondering if maybe those demons that used to be in that big temple, that one time when I prayed and that lottery ticket came through, to that crazy demon thing. Do they still hear me? Did I? uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm okay. You know you're okay in Jesus. Because as we stand in Him, everything is different. And now, I haven't made a pilgrimage forever to Jerusalem. It's been forever since I've seen the temple. And instead now, you're made a priest. You are the temple together with all His people as He indwells us, as He makes us His own, as He builds His church. And His agenda for that church is to reign on the earth. And Jesus showed us that the way that he would reign was not by being served, but to serve. The way he would reign was to bring peace and righteousness and joy, not just comfort. He would bring conflict. He would bring difficult situations in which his truth would be maintained, his truth truth would be proclaimed, and he would be glorified. And so the call for us as people are to stand in the legal reality of what he's done for us to know that the access that he's given us is through Jesus Christ and his blood and that he is worthy and he is the object of all of our worship all of our honor all of our work all of our trust it's in Jesus Christ and out of that spirit now we stand up to tell everybody we know about him to proclaim his word and even sometimes when it's controversial to say the truth in love, to serve others, to tell them the gospel, even if they don't want to hear it sometimes. We serve a great God. He's worthy because he's seated on the throne, and he's worthy because he has taken our debt. He has redeemed us. If today you know that you've been carrying a backpack, I did not confer with Jim, by the way, but if today you know you've been carrying a backpack that he hasn't told you to pick up, if you're ashamed of the things in the past that you've done, as we all are, but if it's weighing you down, if you're trying to carry a burden that's not from Him because you have committed your life to the idols of success or to the idols of money or to the idol of family or doing anything other than Jesus Christ and worshiping Him, anything other than standing in what He's called you to, today is the day to take off those things. Stop trying to come through a separate temple. Instead, come straight to Jesus. Come to him and be made the temple where you can know his power and you can stand in him. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you're with us. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of knowing your salvation in a tangible way, in a new way for all of us, God. Lord, that we wouldn't just walk through life knowing about you, God, but that we would know you. Father, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us, Lord, for our foolishness. Forgive us, God, for trying to do things in our own strength, in our own way. Forgive us, God, for disobeying you and your word. Help us, Lord, instead to walk your way. Lord, wash us clean by your blood. Lord, thank you for the access we have now to you through all that you've done. Lord, we submit our lives to you. We say today, God, let us be a glory to you in everything we do. Lord, convict us by your Holy Spirit when we should talk to others, when we should pray for them. Lord, help us to walk every day, Lord, hearing from you, knowing with you, communing with you because you have indwelled us. Lord, forgive us for sometimes turning off our ears where we don't want to hear, we don't want to be controversial. But instead, Father, we say, have your way with us. We belong to you and our lives are yours. And Lord, anybody who's here who's holding an old backpack, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus by your spirit that we would shun those things and take them off and leave them at the foot of your cross and instead walk in the power of your resurrection, knowing that you, O God, have declared even to the heavenly authorities, even to the angels, everything, Lord, over the earth, in the earth, under the earth, Lord, that you are the only one. You are the only living God, and you reign forever. Father, we praise you today, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe in Jesus, we're going to take the communion meal now. It's only for those who believe. If you don't know him, please don't partake of it. But if you know him, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus, we're going to remember him, and we're going to eat this knowing that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us, not just to make us feel better, but to make us his people and to fill us with purpose. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said that this was his body, which was broken for us, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake of the bread, knowing his life. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this was the cup of the new covenant in his blood. It's a legal drink. You're in him because he took the scrolls. That's the new covenant. So as we drink it, let's remember He has secured for us a place. Let's partake of the cup. Thank you, Lord.